Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode six of Stories and Wisdom. I am one of your co-hosts, Troy Vernier. And I'm your other co-host, Joshua Harris. Today, we have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Brian Powell. He is currently the lead pastor of worship at OKC Trinity Church of the Nazarene. Before he got there, he has been in ministry for almost 20 years, and he has been a university professor for almost as long as that. And he has worked at Southern Nazarene for all of that and has now become the chair of the music department at Southern Nazarene University. Currently, he is in the worship at OKC Trinity and has been married to his wife for over 20 years. And they have two sons that live here in the city with them. Um, I loved his conversation today, Josh. Uh, I really enjoyed the way that he sort of like brought worship and experiencing God um, and the way he explained it to us. I think that people are really going to enjoy because I think it really helps us sort of like add some practical um, language to this thing that sometimes feels like distant from ourselves. And I'm very excited for people to listen to what Brian has to say. He's one of my favorite people in the entire world. He's so smart, he's so intelligent, and um, he communicates very well, and I really appreciate that about him. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. So, Dr. Powell, if you tell us in one sentence, what is it that we're going to talk about today? So, in one sentence, I think uh, we're going to be talking about worship in the Christian church and particularly how American consumerism has affected the way we view worship in the church. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sick. Troy? Yeah. Um, I'm coming to this conversation as someone who has grown up in the church, who has consumed a lot of Christian music throughout my life. Uh, Almost exclusively, like, that is what I listened to as a kid growing up, was Christian music, whether it was worship music or, like, just quote-unquote regular, like, contemporary Christian music. That's what I listened to as a kid. Um, And also, as someone who uh, has been on worship teams here at Trinity, other places, has experienced lots of different worship, like very traditional like hymns, but also kind of stuff that we do here at Trinity. I've experienced a lot of charismatic stuff, too. So I'm bringing all of those things to this conversation. But I think it's really interesting because I think we as a Christian culture in general don't talk about that enough. That consumerism has really sort of taken over uh, the artistry and the spirituality of what Christian art should look like. Um, I feel like when non-Christian people start making labels and things for Christian music, I think that's when you know that Maybe there's something else going on here that we should talk about. So, and maybe we'll get into it. We'll see. I, uh, I'm excited for this conversation because, 
I was someone who was raised in the Jesus movement of the late 90s and early 2000s, like the go-to thought process of what experiential worship looks like. Um, like I went to the Leonard Cooley Brownsville revivals, mm-hmm. you know, and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm excited to hear as someone who's raised in those traditions, someone who's come out of those traditions, um, and even attended some of your lectures at university, you know, what are the things that in worship music and in contemporary Christian music today that we come to misunderstandings and misconceptions about it? So I'm excited to tell you, excited for you to tell me how all my misconceptions are wrong today. So <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll get there. But. <laughs> but So why are you interested in this? Why is it important? What does all this mean to us? Yeah, so my interest is, um, you know, as, as a worship pastor, um, I have been here at Trinity for about 20 years um, in various, you know, part-time, full-time capacities. Um, and then I was also at uh, another church uh, prior to that for one year. Um, and, you know, when you plan worship services, you know, at least one a week for 20 years, you know, you have time to think about what are, what are you doing? Like, why, why am I doing this? What's the point again? Because we did, we have, I've done this so many times, you know, um, so you start thinking a little more philosophically about that, and um, so that's that's probably the main reason that I'm interested in this. You know, it's because it's very practical to me uh, as I as I select music and and put things together for a service. It's what's the point of this? You know, um, also a very practical thing, and the reason that this is interesting to me is just conversations I've had with people um, in this church and in other churches. Everyone has an opinion about the music <laughs> at a church, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, we're surrounded by music today. Uh, everywhere you go, there's music. You know, you're in your car, you're at the, the store, um, wherever you are, there's always music. So we have a, a pretty good education, maybe not formal, but we have a pretty good education in music. We've heard a lot, and we know what we like and we know what we don't like. Um, and so everyone feels like they have a... a valid opinion and um and so yeah i've had some interesting conversations over the years um but i do think you know um in in our discussions before this there there are a lot of ways that we could go so maybe i'll just jump in and feel free to help direct me um if we're going towards one of those that you want to or or maybe we're leaving one of those off um you know, one of the things that I think is is troubling when I hear uh, discussions about people liking or not liking a church or, or the reason they select a church, you know, it seems to be um, very selfish and very driven by, by their own desires, which is why I think I use the word consumerism, you know. Mm-hmm. In our world today, um, in America, we're used to getting what we want um, pretty much when we want it. Um, there are so many varieties of everything that you can find one that pleases you. And music is no exception, right? I mean, we have Spotify, and so with a few keystrokes, you can pretty much listen to any song that's ever been recorded. Uh, and it's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Um, but it changes our, our perception 
on music, but also on, you know, just our expectations. And in the same way, there are, are a variety of churches around, you know, especially in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, you know, you have a lot of options. And those come along with a lot of musical styles. Um, and so you can shop around until you find something that works for you. And so, um, you know, I think there's a little something antithetical to that idea and the life that we're called to in Christ, where we're not considering our own needs. You know, we're considering the needs of others. You know, how often, how, and I, I have heard this, not often, but how often do you hear someone say, you know, I decided to come to this church, whatever church it may be, because I felt like that's where God wanted me to go. Even though, you know, the music's not that great, and I've got kids, and the kids program isn't that great, but this is where God called me, because I'm going to be a part of this body, you know? Yeah. Um, because usually, if you have kids, you're going to look for a good children's program. If you have teenagers, you're going to look for a good youth program. Um, if you don't have either one, you're probably going to focus more on the music or the preaching um, or, you know, things like that. Um, and I don't think we do that consciously. I think that's just something that is ingrained in us as, as Americans, uh, you know, yeah. in, in the world that we live in. Yeah, that the church has to serve us in our needs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and then out of that flows this idea that church and the purpose of a worship service is to make me feel a certain way. Typically good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I want to be renewed and refreshed in my spiritual journey after I go to Sunday morning worship service. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen and I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> If someone, I know this is going to sound a little strange, if someone were to worship me, okay, but I knew that they were only doing it because it made them feel good about themselves, yeah, I'm not sure how much sincerity is is truly in that. Yeah, you know, from uh, them, from them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So if if I am coming to church solely because I'm I'm not in a good mental place or I'm emotional place or I've had a bad week and I need to be recharged and that's the only reason I'm coming mm. that doesn't actually sound like worship to me yeah that sounds like therapy yeah you know like I'm I'm going there to receive something for myself and so I tie that in with with worship because you know I've I've actually had um so I will say at at this church, being here twenty years, I have had. You hear these stories of worship wars and all of this good and bad, and I have had very very little of that here at this church, yeah. and I think that's a testament to this church. Mm -hmm. um, and when I have had people comment, you know, it's it's typically been in in very mature mm -hmm. ways, you know. Um, and we've gone from when I started, we had one service that was. At the time, I would consider fairly traditional. Um, and then we added another service that was a contemporary service. Um, and they coexisted. Mm -hmm. And then about 
seven years ago, six years ago, we then merged those two services back together. So we've run the gamut. I mean, it was hard to split (laughs) in the two. It was much harder to bring (laughs) back together. Um, But I've had conversations with people who maybe didn't like the music we were doing. And, And I remember one person in particular said to me, you know, you don't do the songs that make me feel a certain way. Mm. Or actually, I, I think this person said, you don't do the songs that make us feel a certain way because he yeah. was like speaking on behalf of, of the a, con- whole congregation, of, of a group of people at least. <laughs> yeah. And I said to him, I said, well, that's that's not my purpose. Yeah. I don't I don't ever try to do songs to make people feel a certain way. I said, my hope is the songs that we do reveal truth about who God is and about what he has done and that that will resonate with what you've experienced with God, that will resonate with what you know about God and his nature, and then God and God will speak to you through the Holy Spirit through those words that you have experienced or know are true. And if it makes you feel a certain way, okay, you know, that's great. But if not, that's okay too. Yeah. You know? And and honestly I would say sometimes I'm I'm very cautious um to not try to pull the emotional strings too much. Mm. Um music is an a, an emotional thing, right? It can um I'm, I'm, I was going to say maybe Plato said this, but I don't think Plato said this. But some music philosophers have said, you know, music can bypass the brain and go straight to the heart. Um, which that sounds cool if you're a musician, but that sounds <laughs> yeah. scary if you're a theologian. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because hopefully, you know, Proverbs says don't trust the heart because it's deceitful. Yeah. So we should be processing mentally and intellectually things as well. Um, but I... You know, you guys have been to youth camps before, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you talk about height of emotional, spiritual yeah. experience, right? Because you have... The last night is always... Yeah, I mean, yeah. you have... Friday night. You have Friday night, lack yeah. of sleep. Yeah. Um, you have young people. You have hormones. You have all <laughs> of that, right? And so I, I've heard someone say, the speaker could get up on that last night and say, Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. The altars are open. And that the <laughs> altars would be flooded, you know, because yeah. people would yeah. just feel something about that. Yeah. Um, so I don't want, I don't want people's experience with God to only be emotional. Yeah. Um, I think there is definitely an emotional aspect to it, and I think that's positive. You know, I think that's a good thing. Um, but when that emotion fades, or when that emotion is no longer there, I don't want us to think that God is gone. Yeah. Um, in in my time here, um, we've restructured our service from time to time. You know, we always try to include core elements, but we've restructured it from time to time. And um, moving the announcements to the end of the service um, was a really interesting change. And um, I remember one person said, "You know, well, if when you do that, it just ruins the spirit." Because, you know, typically thinking after the message, after the sermon, we'd have some type of response time yeah. where the, the spirit is moving. I'm doing air quotes. The spirit yeah. is moving. <laughs> um, and then if we do announcements after that, well, then we've ruined it, you know. And 
and my, I don't think I said this to the person, but I thought this, <laughs> you know, if, if us announcing things that our church is doing to help service our community or help our body grow spiritually, if that ruins the spirit, then one, the spirit's not going to last to drive home. Yeah. And, and two, maybe what you think the spirit is, is not the spirit. Yeah. You know, um, it, maybe it is just this emotional, warm, warm, fuzzy, you know. Yeah. One thing that I do want to hear you talk on, we've talked a lot about the emotions of music and all that. And um, one thing that I'm coming into this, um, I remember a meeting that my dad had in the first Nazarene church he was in. And they were hymnal with the organist type of mm-hmm. worship people. And they did... One Chris Tomlin song, I think like, you know, his version of Amazing Grace or something. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also, he grew up in that town, fun fact. Nice. Um, Main Street is called Chris Tomlin Boulevard. Yeah. Throwback to Rev Kev. Uh, that's right, throwback. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we they did some, you know, they did the chorus of My Chains Are Gone. And uh, the uh, he was a board member, and I forget what position he had, but he went into the office that week. And he said, uh, so you know you're playing devil music, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is, you know, anything that's not out of the hymnal was not of God. And this is how, you know, we saw our children fall away from the church and all this stuff. Da, 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 da. And so my experience is with those people who like safeguarded what, you know, this is what God responds to in music. You know, here's what we do. This is why we do it. We don't ever change it. This is where God is. This is where God will always be. Um and so that is my background of even the first church in the Nazarene denomination that we pastored. That was the um, thought process by even the board behind it. Um, but I want you to hear, I want to hear what you say when, that's a weird way, I want to ask that question. <laughs> Where do emotions belong when we do encounter God? Where can we bring those emotions to God? Because there, there's, you know, especially in, the wisdom literature of David, like there's emotions all over the place. Like he doesn't hinder any emotions bringing to God. Mm-hmm. What does that encounter look like with emotionally humans and an infinite being? Mm-hmm. Where should we do that? Yeah. So first let me address the whole, you know, Chris Tomlin being devil music. Or whatever. <laughs> um, the older I get, I, I know this, but the older I get, the more I realize this. You know, this this happens this happens over and over and over again. You know. Some of the oldest people in our church currently um probably have have an affinity for uh Bill Gaither and Gaither music, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean they you've had they have those videos, you know, the Gaither homecoming videos and things like that. You know, when Bill Gaither um when he started becoming popular, he was very controversial. And I'm, and you know, in my mind, I'm thinking I've known him as pretty established. Yeah. No, he was very controversial, and he was one of the first, um, you know, in in a traditional setting to bring a bass guitar on stage, or then maybe drums, you know, and and people were very, you know, standoffish about. It. Some people were. Yeah. And now, the oldest people in our congregation—that's probably the music that they really gravitated to when they were young Christians, you know. Um, same thing with Isaac Watts long mm-hmm. ago, you know, a hymn writer mm-hmm. wrote joy to the world. When I survey the wondrous cross, you know, things like that. 
Well, because it wasn't from the Psalms, it wasn't in the Psalter, oh, well, this is, you know, and it has these dance rhythms and it has, you know, all this stuff and it's going to lead us down this road of, of you know, deviant behavior. Um, so, you know, to someone who says if it's, can't, if, it, if it's not out of the hymnal, it's devil music, I would say, well, you know, I guess Jesus was singing <laughs> devil music then because yeah. I don't think they had the hymnal then, yeah. you know. Um, but... Yeah, so so that's a yeah. recurring thing. Yeah, and and what I find interesting is even in um, there's there's a book um, by a guy named Levitin. Um, it's called "This Is Your Brain on Music." It's not a not a Christian book. It's just about music, but he talks about how the music that people listen to in their typically their teenage years is music that they for their lifetime will always have an affinity for. Mm. Um. And I mean, I, I find that true because, you know, whenever a song comes on that like was real popular when I was in college, you know, I'm like, oh boys, listen, you know, talk to me. Don't listen to this. This this was like, this was the song when I was, I remember in my dorm, you know, but you have all these memories, you know, as a teenager, maybe, um, you know, it's the first time you've gotten to choose what music you're listening to. Mm -hmm. Um, the hormones come back into play, you know, all of those things. And so layer on top of that then Many people come to faith in a, at a young age, right, statistically, and many of them at things like youth camps. Yeah. And so the music that was popular, the music that was in, in your church or in, involved in your initial spiritual experience is always going to have that strong connection to what you think of as spirituality, and so for most people, if they come to faith as a teenager, you combine that with adolescence, you know, that's just imprinted on them that this is what spiritual music sounds like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I think it, it's natural for people to think that way. Sorry to go off on that tangent, but to your question, the emotional thing in, in, um, in spirituality, I definitely... Um, I probably should have said this at the beginning. I don't ever want to judge the way someone worships. I'm, I'm yeah. not judge, right? And if if someone is sincerely worshiping and they're doing it drastically different than me, who am I to say? You know? Yeah. So I, you know, I don't want to ever judge the way someone else worships. Um, I think emotions are given to us by God. And I think he is not scared of us expressing those emotions like you, you know, like you referenced, um, you know, you read the Psalms of David and quite a few of them are not this. I'm so happy because of what God has done for me. You know, yeah. they're angst filled and they're questioning and, you know, all of that. And God is big enough to handle all of that. So I think our emotions in, in worship um, are, are perfectly valid and, and should be as as we offer all of who we are. In worship that includes our emotions mm-hmm. I mean it includes our intellect it includes our physical bodies as well you know maybe standing maybe singing maybe dancing if you're not a Nazarene so it should include those I think I think where sometimes we get mixed up is we overlay an expectation on God mm-hmm. that when I come to worship you then certain emotions will result in me. And I think that's that's where we go off track. Yeah. 
um, you know, this is the God of the universe. This is not a, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll worship you if you do this for me. Yeah. You know, that's, that's beyond, I think what, <laughs> what we're called to do as, <laughs> yeah. as Christians in worship. Yeah. Then what would, what would you say to someone though that, um, maybe has never felt emotions in any way during mm-hmm. worship yeah. and s- somehow fe- and sees that other people have some sort of experience. Mm-hmm. They're feeling something or they're recognizing something or they're, uh, I don't know, coming to a new cognitive reality about them, about God. And they felt like they've never had that experience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you'd say to them, but also my thought I, I think is we often, I think can, um, without maybe doing it within the church, may almost like make people feel kind of like second class because of that mm-hmm. or like lesser than. Mm-hmm. So I just want to hear you speak to that. Yeah, I think initially I would, if someone asked me, you know, that I would initially say, well, you know, every person is unique and is, and is individual and we don't always process things the same way. Um, one of the classes that I, I teach at SNU is um, church music administration, and it deals mm-hmm. with specifically with worship arts students that are planning to be um, worship pastors. And we talk about these, you know, how our personality affects the way we worship. And we take the, I've forgotten the name of it right now, but the personality test with the four, you know, the ENS. The oh, Myers Briggs. Yeah, there you go, the Myers Briggs. Yeah. Um, ENFJ, just so people. There you go. Want to know? <laughs> Ask my wife. I hate those tests. <laughs> I hate to think that someone who's never met me can like put me in a box. <laughs> so, but anyways, but they are. Oh, Brian's well. an Enneagram four. There That's you go. Right. And yes, an Enneagram. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's interesting then to to say, okay, if if these are my personality traits, mm. you know, how does that affect the way I approach worship? And uh, the same could be said for someone who's not the worship pastor, but who's participating as, as a member of the congregation. You know, if I am a very sensitive person, then, you know, I'm going to be much more easily moved to emotion. Yeah. And so we have people that you know and love that are often up front in our church who, you know, are much more quick to shed a tear uh, and express emotion that way than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that they've experienced something that I haven't, mm. you know, even when I experience intense emotions on the outside, you don't often see it. Um, so I, you know, I think someone who, who asked me that, I, that, that would be my first thing I would say. Everyone's different. And so we're all going to, even even if we experience the exact same touch from God or word from God or whatever, we would react differently. But then I would also say God is limitless. He is infinite. So just because he speaks to you in a certain way that elicits a specific emotion, that doesn't mean he's going to speak to me in that same way. So we have... The, the transmitter, God, may be speaking different things to each one of us, and we have the receiver, each individual, that's wired differently. We can't expect to have the same 
response all the time. Now, worshiping together in a communal body, you know, that, when you do things as a, as a community, that tends to, you know, have people start to act similar ways, yeah. you know, and so that, that could affect that. Um, but I, I would say, again, that's, you know, that's an expectation that we've put on God. You know, God, I don't feel that you're there because I don't feel this way. Well, you know, maybe God is saying, okay, I'm still here. Yeah. I, I, it never says you're going to feel this way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think about, you know, think about just the miracles of Jesus, right? When he, when he healed someone, you know, sometimes he spit on the ground and made mud and put it on their eyes, right? Sometimes he, would, he wouldn't even be present. And he would just say, oh, yeah, your daughter is healed. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, he's, if he doesn't do the same things every way in the limited number of miracles that we see in the, in the scripture, why should we think that he's going, going to do things the same yeah. way for you and for you and for me? Yeah. So it reminds me of the uh, the Old Testament prophet uh, Elijah, after he um, just had basically a god contest with mm-hmm. you know the the Baalim gods in the city he was in, and he said you know you know let's go on a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. You bring five hundred of your prophets, and I'll stand as the lone prophet for you know Israel's god, and we'll see whose god shows up. Mm-hmm. And you know God sends down this big pillar of fire and it burns up the offering and uh this like very physical manifestation of god and then the king is furious you know puts a bounty on his head and elijah runs off into the wilderness and you know has a dark just suicidal complex that he's Mm -hmm. bringing to god like god why are you would why would you even let me live at this point i curse the day i was born Mm. like be far from me so i can just die Mm mm-hmm you know, and he brings that emotion to God, even though he just encountered God in this big way, mm-hmm. you know, and he simply says, hey, you need to sleep some more, you need to eat some more, you need some more water in you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need to talk to this angel that I'm going to bring down, and just mm-hmm. starts meeting basic needs. Yeah. He says, that, you know, you're going to go on a journey, you will heal from me, but I prepare for this journey. And he goes to this cave, and he God sends down the fire again, and mm-hmm. he's not in at that time. And there's an earthquake, and there's a tornado, and there's all these big, you know, physical manifestations of what God is supposed to look like when mm-hmm. we encounter Him. And then it says, but then a still wind came behind it all, and in the whisper of the wind, God spoke to Elijah, yeah. and that's when He said, "Hey, get back out there! Like I'm mm-hmm. still here." That's always the story that I remember when we talk about these. The same guy who probably saw one of the strongest manifestations of God mm-hmm. on earth without a physical being of God being there. Like, within a week, was like, God, I just want to not be here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, and, and I think, and again, this would probably lead back to the American consumerism, right? Because we, we want people to come to our church. Mm. Um, we want believers to come to our church to help, uh, you know, so we have more people to do ministry. We want unbelievers to come or you know non-believers to come so they can maybe have an, ex- uh, an experience or or hear a word that's going to lead them to god so we we tend to push those big experiences right the fire and the tornado and the 
the cool lights and the loud sounds, you know, and maybe maybe that's where you encounter God, um, and and maybe it's not, you know. Yeah. Um, but we want those, you know, Isaiah, you know, in the the year that King Uzziah died, you know, I saw the Lord high lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple, and you know, we want those awe-inspiring moments. We want the the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, where Jesus was transfigured. Well, in all of Scripture, how often does that happen? Yeah. Right. I mean, with the with James and John and Peter, right? I mean, the three, we only know of it happening once. And you know, and the, yeah, we expect that to happen on any given Sunday when we show up. Yeah. Um, yeah, but when it's compacted in to the Bible. I think oftentimes we forget how how many years are in between yeah. stuff like that. I mean, yeah. there's hundreds of years between the last book of the Old Testament and when Jesus' ministry starts. Right. And um, so, but yeah, I want you to touch more on consumerism. I'm really interested in that because I, uh, <laughs> Joshua knows this and uh, all my friends know this. I, I can, I have been consumed by listening to the Mars Hill podcast um, I don't know if anyone who's listening knows about it. You should check it out. It's a very interesting <laughs> deep dive into Christian culture in America, megachurch, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of eventually where their church went to is this sort of like come consume. We create media. We create all this mm-hmm. type of stuff. We create an experience. And it is all about sort of like the bombastic big you know, spectacle. Mm-hmm. I think God is there in those moments. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. Obviously, he was there with, you know, Elijah. But how do we sort of combat that in a way that's loving and sort of help express to people, like, sometimes and often, most of the time, God is in the whisper and the quietness. Mm-hmm. Like, how and how do you do that as a pastor? How do you navigate those two things as a worship leader, as a worship pastor? Yeah. Because I, I know that you're not afraid to go to maybe more heightened places, but I also know that you you also try to emphasize the quieter places too. Yeah. So how do you how do you navigate those things, and how do you lead people in that? Yeah. So for me personally, um, I tend to be, and, and as I get older, I tend to maybe be more this way, but less drawn to the high energy, you know, let's pump everybody up. Just personally, personally, I'm less drawn to yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think that is one safeguard to keep me, you know, from only doing that. Mm-hmm. Although at the same time as I'm getting older, I think, oh, I'm getting older. Maybe I need to do more of that, <laughs> more hype. you know, because I don't gravitate towards that and I need to keep younger people in mind. Um, and then just my personality is, you know, a little more subdued. And so I'm not, I don't typically guide my decisions um, based off of emotion. Um, you know, people who know me well, it, like my wife, I mean, she knows that I, usually if things get emotional or whatever, then I'm like, okay, I need to calm down and I need to think through this. What am I thinking and what am I feeling? And, and that just kind of is the way that I am. Mm-hmm. And so then that probably translates into, um, you know, into the, the music that I select or how, how a service is, is crafted. Um, you know, I think a lot of this consumerism um, 
relates to the idea of this seeker sensitive movement yeah which you guys are nodding and saying yeah so you, you're aware of this yes. right but I could mean, you explain that to someone who might yeah not know? yeah and and technically i would say that we're past that culturally as a christian as a as a the church um, but, you know, seeker sensitivity, I, I don't know if I know the dates really well, but probably in the 80s is where it, it started becoming um, kind of this movement of we want, we want people who don't know about church and we want people who maybe are um, resistant to things of, of the Christian church, we want them to feel really comfortable coming to our church uh, because we believe that good things could happen if they come to our church and they hear the gospel preached. And yeah, and I think that's great. Um, and so as a result of that, they wanted to make everything about church be non-threatening. So that's when you start seeing churches in America not look like churches in America had looked for decades. Doesn't mean churches have to look that way, but just what yeah. had been churches yeah. with a steeple out front. Our church is very traditional in, in its ar architecture, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but moving away from that because people have um, preconceived notions or baggage yeah. with church. So let's not do that. Let's, um, you know, the, at the extreme of this, it was let's remove the cross because that's, you know, that can be kind of offensive or kind of or, or can be confusing to people. Um, and then the way that that you would dress. You know, back when I was a kid, you wore what we would call our Sunday best. You know, everybody yeah. knew what Sunday morning church clothes were. And now it could be anything. Some people still dress up. Some people don't. Um, and, and that's all a result of the seeker sensitivity. And then along with that, you, you tie in, well, what does the service itself look like? You know, what, ki what kind of language do we use? Um, we try not to, t to say many things that are in our little Christian language. You know, we try to put things in plain terminology. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the musical styles and things like that. Can we not use st musical styles that are similar to the musical styles that people hear? So that even if they're not necessarily listening to it for the message, they'll like the beat, they'll say, oh, that's cool, they'll listen to it, and then along the way, those words will infiltrate their thinking or speak to their heart. Um, I, I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with any of that yeah. necessarily i mean right by all means we're supposed to reach all people and and so that's that's fine but i think over time what happens if you're not careful is we start designing our worship services based on what we think people want and therein lies that consumerism right yeah and if if you're talking seeker sensitivity you're basing your service on what non-believers want because you're trying to get those seekers, people who are seeking Christ or don't know Christ. So you're going to gear things towards them. And so then not, not only is it consumer-driven, consumer but it's our consumer then is the non-Christian. So then where does that leave the Christian? You know, mm -hmm. um, There's a book called uh, Renovation of the Church. Renovating, I, I looked it up on my phone, so I, got the, I would get the title right. Renovation of the Church. What happens when a seeker church discovers spiritual formation? This was written by Kent Carlson and Mike Lucan. Um, and they had what would be considered a very successful contemporary, you know, church of over a thousand people, well over a thousand people. You know, it was kind of a cool church and they had all this stuff going for them. 
But they stepped back and they took a look at their congregation and asked themselves, are we really helping to disciple people who are followers of Christ? Not just good church attenders, but followers of Christ in their daily lives, in the hard stuff, in those hard things that Christ calls us to do. Yeah. And they realized that they, that they weren't doing that. And so they had to step back and, and reevaluate. And so they kind of upended what they did as a church. And their church decreased by about 50%. But in, in writing this book after all that has happened, after all that has happened, um, you know, they say it was a good change. Even though the numbers are fewer, they feel better about what they're doing as a church. And one of the things that they said is, we, we learned that what we win people with, we win them to. So if we win them with cool music, yeah, we've won them to cool music. Mm. We haven't won them to Christ. And so as soon as we stop doing the cool music, they go somewhere else where there's cool music. Yeah. And so that that little phrase, what we win them with, we win them to, um, has stuck in my in my head. Um, and I think that there's real you know wisdom to be drawn from that in how you balance giving people what they want versus holding fast to, you know, biblical truth. Yeah. Because we don't remove worship from from our, our cultural context, right? I mean, we don't, as, you know, Trinity Church of the Nazarene, we don't do our services in Latin. We should, though. Or, <laughs> or in Greek. Yeah. Or in Arabic yeah. or Aramaic, you know. And yeah. someone could argue that Biblically, this is the language. Mm. Well, but no one would understand that, you know. So you do have to make things accessible to people. But keeping that phrase in mind, what we win them with, we win them to, helps you balance. You know, how do we become culturally relevant without becoming spiritually irrelevant, um, and and still focusing on the main thing? Yeah. And then I would even, you know, I, I tend to have a lot of discussions in my mind with a lot of questions that I can't answer. So I'm just going to throw one of these out there. <laughs> so right. There's not an answer necessarily to this. Um, but in talking about seeker sensitivity, should our worship services be designed to win people to Christ? I mean, we're calling this a worship service, right? This is a time where we come together and we worship God. So if you didn't believe in Christ, why would I go to something where I'm worshiping something I don't believe in? Now, mm. in our world today, you know, the main pathway, at least it has been for decades, is you invite a non-believer to church on Sunday morning, you know? And so we have this struggle. I, I have this struggle internally of like, okay, is, is this service for Christians? Where they can testify about the goodness of God and how they've seen him work in their lives and or is this service geared towards people who don't yet believe and we're trying to convince them you know now obviously there's overlap in that right but i think if you let one side or the other take precedent too much then you leave one group out you know yeah. so yeah it's huh. kind of interesting for me at least to think yeah. about that that yeah. question one of the uh as you're talking about 
you know, secret sensitive movement and all that. Um, I had a conversation of mine that I had with somebody. I have, um, where I work, people are aware of my training and ministry and all that. And so every once in a while, someone will come up to me and have, you know, some deep question. And, uh, I remember one morning I went in, I was getting ready, I was cooking the staff breakfast, and, uh, one of the one of the girls there came up to me and she said, uh, hey, so what's your concept of God? I was like, all right. And so we stood there and talked for a while and uh, all this. And um, she came up to me once and so I asked her, she's like, what's, what, what's your concept of God? Like, what do you experience God as, whatever? And uh, well, she said, well, I used to be, you know, in a more seeker, sensitive church very charismatic very modern very contemporary she's like but everyone seemed to be able to experience god but me so i i, I left because you know everyone else was getting something out of it i never got anything out of it i never got to experience god and i just don't know what was wrong with me or with god that i didn't get to experience anything like that and so that that's what's been in my mind now of like what is it you know for those approaching this conversation as, well, I just never experienced God anywhere. Where do I find my place in this narrative? What what do we say to them? Um, so I think, I think first of all, what I would say is, that your perception of whether you've experienced God or not does not change the fact of the existence of God. Mm. Um, there are many things in this life that I have not experienced. That doesn't mean that they're not real. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. <laughs> I've never seen a whale in real life. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not real. Yeah. Now, for someone who's a non-believer, well, you know, you, you need you need something more than that to still believe, right? Um, but but I would say that I would say that first off, you know, just because your experience hasn't been, you know, what you what you thought it was doesn't mean that God isn't real. And then secondly, I would I would ask them, especially if it was a non-believer, you know, what does experiencing God look like? And how do you know that? I mean, do we think that it means a warm, fuzzy feeling? Do we think that it means, you know, a light from heaven shining down on? A, what do we think it looks like? And how yeah. do you know that? Um, and if it's just something cultural, then, well, then that's just cultural. Yeah. Who, who says that it has to be that way? Um, and then I've, I've kind of already alluded to the idea that, you know, every person's a little bit different. And so... Um, and so we all will experience God in a different way. Um, and then I would say, you know, if you continue to seek God with all your heart, you will find him. I don't know what that will look like to you. Yeah. Um, but I believe that's true because the word says that, you know, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Um, 
And it might not happen in a church service. Mm. Again, not to not to discount the way anyone worships or to point fingers at any church. Um, but there's kind of this trend now to call a worship service a worship experience. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think I think one really, at least in our in, the, in our neck of the woods here, right? <laughs> at least at least one big successful church did that, and then all these other churches, you know, oh well, if we do that, then we're gonna, you know, <laughs> but that's always a fun thing to to watch how these trends move their way around churches. Yeah. Um, and I personally don't like that that title, um, for a few reasons, and one is this, you know. We then come with the expectation of, okay, at 10.30, if I'm there in that place, then I'm going to experience God. I mean, I just don't know if that's the point. Yeah. You know, again, if this is a worship service, hopefully we've had an experience with God. Hmm. And we're coming to worship him because of who he is and because of what he has done. That's kind of my worship definition in a nutshell it's mm-hmm. our response to who god is and to what he's done so whenever i'm planning service and leading worship i try to continually remind myself it's not my job to pump people up it's not my job to try to stir up an emotion in them it's my job to give them the space and the opportunity to express what is hopefully already in their hearts Hmm. um you know if we sing speaking of chris tomlin how great is our god (laughs) yeah which is a great song yeah Yeah. it's a great song because it's exalting the name of god you know i mean it's been around for a long time now but um you know if we're singing how great is our god if you truly believe that god is great and you've experienced that in your life then you can sing that with authenticity right i'm not singing about something i don't know i'm not singing about something i don't believe and so then that resonates with you and then you're doing it with fellow believers and that encourages you because mm-hmm. you're like i know this and i believe this but that's also then being validated again because other people do too um whereas someone who has not experienced god before and they come into a worship service and they're saying, how great is our God? That doesn't necessarily help them believe it anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could go to a, a, a service of some religion that I didn't believe in and I could sing their song, but that doesn't, you know. So the expectation that this worship service is now a worship experience. This is where you're going to experience God. Um you know, I, I just don't like the terminology. I think that that encourages us to bring to that setting a list of expectations for God, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's what they mean. I, again, I'm not criticizing them, you know? Maybe they just mean you're going to experience worship. You know, it's a worship experience. You're going to experience people worshiping God and if you want to join in that's great and if you don't that's fine too but I think the connotation is this is going to be a momentous event here and you're going to be talking about this all week because it was so cool or whatever and you know life is life I mean it's not always cool 
it's it's mountaintops and it's valleys and there's a lot of in between. No. And God is still God in the in between. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean I think we as just humans seek that uh I guess that emotion, but more than that I think we just want to feel um, like there's something outside of ourselves there. We want to feel that significance that we're a part of something, mm-hmm. um, that there is, you know, we want to thrill to some extent yeah. too, like, because life is so in between. So what do we do with that in between? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that quote, I think by e- Eugene Peterson that it's, um, long obedience in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like for that's what I'm learning about being a Christian is that a lot of times it is just that it's just the same direction Mm -hmm. and there's no up or down in this season right now. It's just, we're just going and that's not fun. (laughs) That's not exciting. You know, there's no, I mean, even in, even in the valleys, well, at least I'm feeling something cause Mm -hmm. like, you know, but when you're just, cruising along i think a lot of times it does that makes you feel stagnant or like nothing's going on but i think that's when god is actually doing the most work yeah yeah and i and i think media and social media in particular i mean they they highlight the highs and the lows right i mean people post things when it's really good or when it's really bad Um, television shows movies you know you don't ever have a movie it's I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Seinfeld, yeah, but that's yeah. kind of you know the show about nothing, right? It's yeah. just kind of like it's a show about here's my regular day and the, everything that happened and nothing happened. You know, yeah. there's, there's that one episode where they're trying to sell it to NBC, and you know, well, what happens? Nothing happens. That's the show. Nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah. You know, and you're like, no, no, something could happen. No, nothing happens. Um, but yeah, so we're we're used to seeing the highs and lows, and if we don't have that, then we feel like there's something missing in us. I remember when I graduated um, with my master's degree, so I was 24, and I just had this sense of, what's next? Yeah. You know, because when you're in school, you get pretty regular feedback, right? Mm -hmm. You get semester grades, and then you move every year, hopefully, you move to the next grade. You graduate high school, and then you go to college, and hopefully in about four years, you finish that, and then I went two years... And I'm like, okay, now what? I I work, and 30 years from now, 40 years from now, then I'll retire. So that's the next. So I've got like 40 with no feedback, with just this, you know. Yeah. And I was like, what is? Of course, it's not. It's not that way. But that was my thought. Was like, well, how do I know if I'm doing something right or wrong? And how do I? What's that next step? Um, and I think a lot of times it's that way in Christianity. It's just. I, I'm I'm gonna get the words wrong if I try to do that Eugene Peterson quote. <laughs> yeah, but that, I think I probably got him wrong that, too. <laughs> you know, consistent long work in, in same yeah. direction, and and that's fine. You know. Yeah, that reminds me of the uh, the the J.J. Heller song. Um, mm, love her. It's called uh, "God Is Still Here," and mm. it's the whole thought process of what if all of our preconceived notions fail? Mm-hmm. What if you know the anxieties never cease? What if I wrestle with this for the rest of my life? What if I'm stuck in and the 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 chorus has this uh repeating line that it's what if God is still here in this desert too? Mm. What if growth is still happening in this desert too? Mm. And I'm not in this luscious experience that everyone yeah. else gets. What if it's dry and barren for years? And what if 
this is where I'm supposed to meet God now. That's yeah. It's a good song. It pops off, but it really does. I was talking with with some guys this morning. We were doing a, a Zoom uh, Bible study together, and we were we're studying Philippians, and we were talking about you know we were actually asking ourselves, well, where was Paul in jail when he was you know was it in Rome was it you know. Um, and somebody looked something up and he said, well, it looked like he was in jail for two years here and then he went, to, you know, and was in jail here for two more years. And, you know, we, we talked about how there were times Paul and Silas, they weren't in jail that long, right? They sang, earthquake, they got out, Peter was in jail and then, you know, he got out. And I wonder, was Paul four years in jail, was he thinking, what's happening? Has mm. God... But he wrote these letters during that time mm-hmm. that we now have. Would he have had the time to write those had he been continuing to travel? Would he have sent Timothy out and empowered Timothy to do ministry? You know, so who knows what was going through Paul's mind? He's, he's much more spiritual yeah. than me. Um, so he probably just trusted God. But I would have been <laughs> asking questions, you know. Yeah. But now, looking back on it, we see, oh, yeah, God was working through all of that. Um. So yeah, we never know. We never know what's happening, and, yeah. and and what God is doing in us during the good times and the difficult times, to help us, you know, or help someone else later on. Yeah. So then, how do you, as a worship pastor, deal with that when you feel like, oh man, got up on stage this Sunday, nothing's happening. Yeah. G- Gabby and I were just talking about that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, there are days where I I get up there and it's easier whenever you feel really down or when you feel really up, right? Because when you feel really down, then you can just cling to those songs, you know? And I don't feel it, but I believe it. And when you're really up, it just kind of flows out of you. But when there's nothing, you know, it's just like, ah, what do I do? Um, As a worship pastor, what I would say I do is I sing it and I believe it. And because I don't, I don't want this church's worship service to revolve around my emotions, mm. right? Just and that's what Gabby said. The same thing with preaching is, you know, just because I don't feel a certain way doesn't mean God hasn't given me this word to share. Yeah. Um, but you know, the same could go for the, as a congregation. You know, if you're there and you don't feel it, well, maybe you just sing it anyways. You know, fake it till you make it type of thing. Um, if you're a believer, you know that it's still true. You might not be experiencing it. You might not see it in your life, circumstances right then. But singing it with a group of people, you know, can encourage you, you know, and can help you uh, remain faithful to what you know is true. Um, and and be honest with God, you know, and, and say, God, I'm singing this song, but oh, it's really hard to believe this right now. Yeah. You know? And yeah. um and God God desires that. You know, he desi- he wants us to be open and honest with him, you know. Um and then that's the beautiful thing about the church. And I, I I'll say this a lot of times um from from the front when I lead worship is, you know, I, I don't know what your week has been like. Some of you have had great weeks, some of you have had horrible weeks. Um but that's why we're here together, you know. If you've had a a great week, then it means probably somebody next to you has had a bad week. And so we're supposed to encourage one another when we meet, right? In Hebrews, 
don't don't give up the habit of meeting or don't give up meeting together as many of you are in the habit of doing but continue to spur one another on toward acts of love hmm. so we don't come just to listen to whoever's up front you know we come to give and receive encouragement and and things like that if i don't feel like i need it that means i better be giving it um so. yeah that's awesome yeah i uh I want to lead us now into, as we get close to the closing of this episode, um, before that, is during this hour, has there been anything that you wish you could have said, question you wished you would have been asked, something you want to go back and touch on? Is there anything that you think we missed in your mind? Um... I think to I think to church people, people who are regular attenders, maybe longtime attenders of church. Um, I would say, you know, whatever church you go to, you're not always going to like all of the music, you know, or the way the worship service is is structured. Um, if you ever feel like there's anything that's not biblical, you owe it to the worship pastor to talk to them about it. I've had conversations with people who were not happy with me about whatever was happening. And, and you know, we came to the point where I knew that we weren't going to agree, but I asked them, is anything that I'm doing sinful or unbiblical or you know, heretical or anything like that. Because if there is, you need to let me know. Um, and fortunately, that at least at that time, the person said no. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, we're not going to agree on the other stuff. So anyways, all that to say, you know, if you're a church go, a regular attender, um, you're not always going to like it. But you can, you know, hold your, hold your leaders accountable uh, if there are things that are not biblically sound. Um, and, and be gracious with them in, in the other things, you know, understand that we do have Spotify and we can listen to the music we want to listen to six and a half days out of the week, you know, but for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm going to be willing to listen to a, a song and hopefully sing and participate with a song because it could help somebody else and just yeah. assume that that's your act of, of, of worship is allowing someone else to experience something maybe that you have in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, for people who, um, who maybe aren't aren't Christians and um, or or struggling? You know, I I would say maybe just reiterate. Um, you know, first of all, God is real, and He does speak to us, um, but it might not be in the way you think. And uh, as Gabby challenged us a couple weeks ago, sometimes you just have to be quiet, and that's really hard for me. Um, but sometimes you just have to you know, sit in silence or, or, you know, not expect it to come in the big loud moments in the fire, in the wind in the earthquake, but in that still small voice, um, because sometimes that's when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So as a species and a people who often find ourselves without any hope, how does this lesson, this conversation bring hope to us? Um, I think one of the most hopeful things whenever I think about church in general and 
and maybe our society today, which, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's been a rough few years just for American life yeah. in general um, in terms of um, people getting along well and, and agreeing on things. Um, but the hope is this is not the first time that society has been in upheaval and yet the church still persists. You know, this is not the first time that we've faced whatever thing we're facing right now, and yet the church has made it. You know, there, there's confidence in the idea that, I mean, we can, make some, we can make some mistakes, but God is bigger than our mistakes. You know, if, if we do our best to worship him with a sincere heart, um, that God will accept that worship. You know, and his church will continue, uh, and a hundred years from now, and five hundred years from now, uh, if the Lord hasn't returned yet, there are going to be people on this planet that are worshiping God. Um, and so, we just try to be faithful to what we think God has called us to, and and trust Him that that if we're if we're sincere, that He'll work through us. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Stories and Wisdom. We appreciate your time and energy. Um, If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at TCNOKC. As well, uh, you can catch Trinity's live stream on Facebook and YouTube um, on every Sunday at 1030 for English and noon for Spanish. So if you want to see dr powell over here singing playing piano you can check in on that um also if you have any feedback or questions you can always email us at storiesandwisdom at gmail.com um and until then we will see you next time see you gang